step because I like to make charts. But the the ten the ten practices on these chart on this chart, these ten in the practice of generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity are um, uh, in the Buddhist typology, the qualities of the heart, 10 qualities of the heart, they're called paramita. Paramita means something that's been completed, it's come to the end of, um, that's, that's been developed fully. Uh, that they're all qualities that we naturally accumulate or have the, have the capacity to, to cultivate in our lives. And the Buddha in, in the legends about the Buddha was said to have consolidated them all in a prior, in prior lifetimes. I actually think sometimes that's the wrong end of the equation or it's an end of the equation, but the, you could write the equation backwards because the, in, in the tales of the Buddha it says he, he, um, he uh, uh, cultivated all of those qualities in previous lifetimes and the, it was the cultivation and the perfection of those characteristics that enabled him in his lifetime as Siddhartha Gautama to have the breakthrough understanding that uh, we call the enlightened wisdom of the Buddha, that life is, ve life is challenging for everyone because things are always changing and we're needing to accommodate all the time. That life is challenging, that it becomes more challenging when we are unable to accommodate the challenge, when we insist that it be different. There are so many things that I'd like to have different in the world. I'd like to have everyone who's sick that I know be well. I'd like them to be the end of world hunger. I'd like them to be the end of animosity between nations and the end of wars. There are a lot of things that I'd like. Uh, it's not talking about the end of preferring, really, in the way that we know it, or wishing for something. Sometimes people misunderstand that. They say, uh, the Buddhist way is to give up desire, and it's a wrong—it's a wrong use of the word desire. It's actually to uh, to be able to let go of imperative. There are a lot of things that I'd like to have happen. When there's an imperative of my in my mind, it must be that way. It can't be this way. When it is this way, it means I'm not being able in that moment to accommodate for this way. Everybody who uh, didn't win an election yesterday. Uh, everybody whose amendment didn't pass needs uh, over these days, not instantaneously, to be able to say, I really wanted that, but it didn't happen. So now what should I do? And it's the, and it's the inability to make the move from I really wanted that to it didn't happen, now what should I do? Which releases the mind from a particular kind of torment, that, that, that torment of imperative. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. And you can't will yourself to do it. You know, even when my mind is caught in a knot like that, and I think to myself, I'm suffering because I've tied this knot in my mind. I want it to be this way, and it's not that way. So let's untie the knot, and then you won't be suffering. Would that I could, you know? that. It's not that easy. Just knowing, you can say to yourself, you know, uh, the, the, I think the 
for a while, it, it, it was a kind of a thing to say to people, let go, just let go, and you'll be all right. <laughs> Who wouldn't let go if they could? You know, it's, nobody personally suffers. Uh, we could do a lot of stories about that. Um, from, from really the, the important to the ridiculous, early on, I was, at a, I was in a meditation retreat, and I was, uh, I, anyway, for whatever reason, I was having a terrible headache that wasn't going away, and I thought to myself, it's not going away because of the imperative that it go away. I'm, so I, I, I'm sitting here, I am sitting, and I say, I open to this headache. And I could hear my mind say, who are you kidding? You know, like, you know, like, you know but that's a, just a really a ridiculous, I mean, because we don't. I mean, because we are mammals, and when we want things a certain way, we want them. We do all kinds of things to get them that way. And that's really the ridiculous end. I mean, the things that, you know, a headache, sure, everybody wants to get rid of the headache. You know, but the other things that I'd like to change. So here's, a, here's the Buddha who says, life is challenging, it gets worse painful, we're suffering when we can't really discriminate between what we can change and what we can't and make that move to accommodating. The serenity prayer, the uh, um, Reinhold Niebuhr actually, uh, 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 con not contemporary because he's gone now, but a uh, modern theologian is the source of that serenity prayer that people in 12 steps say every day. And it's not that different from what the Buddha said, to figure out what he can change and do the best he can, and what he can't, and accept the best he can, and figure out the difference. And to have that clarity of vision, yes, but, um, not yes, but, to have that clarity of vision. And really, the, the third of the Four Noble Truths is that we could have peace as possible. doesn't mean to be pleased with what's going on. We could presumably have the kinds of mind that say, okay, this is what's true. Um, you know, I, I wished it had been otherwise. A friend of mine years ago, who died quite young in his early 40s, uh, said, I would have wanted more, but I never wanted other. And, I th and it's so, I get all goose pimples still, because to myself I think, well, there's going to be, whatever time I, is my time, I'll probably want more. But I, I wish, I hope that I can feel that mostly I didn't want other. Because wanting other is always a source of pain, suffering. And the fourth noble truth, of course, is the path which the Buddha outlined in eight ways to train the mind of wisdom and um, really uh, what he called mind training the ability to concentrate, the ability to be mindful, alert to what's happening, the effort to be able to notice these are uh, mind states that lift you up, these are mind states that tie the mind up tighter and tighter and don't support it. I should choose these. When I come to a fork in the road and, I, and, and anger arises, for instance, and I think to myself, hmm, I could make a plan of revenge or I think to myself, how can I meet this situation wisely for everybody's benefit? Hmm, what should I do? Well, the plan of revenge is clearly the, the path to suffering. The mind full of vengeance isn't comfortable. 
it's amazing to me how often I actually see that fork in the road and I think to myself, well, a little bit thinking this and then I'll think the right thing. You know, there's, there's something, it's like an itch that needs to be scratched. It's bizarre, it's bizarre. And actually what we do here, I think, is begin to notice it in ourselves. I can't say to myself, don't do that anymore. If I could say that, I would have said it. I said it already a million times. doesn't work. It's actually noticing it and noticing the pain that's involved in not being able to make that choice right away. And it's actually from that that the mind gets unattached, less and less attached to the unskillful response. That one of the counteractives to the unskillful, two of the counteractives to the unskillful response are the last two of these paramitas. Uh, what the last one, equanimity, equi the, the, the definition of equanimity really is not calm, it's not collected, it's not, it's not anything, it's not calm, it's not tranquil. It could be, but it doesn't need to be. Equanimity means everything is happening and I'm not, and I'm noticing it and I'm here. I keep myself present, totally aware of the situation, more or less balanced. And the imperative that things be different is not in my mind. It's just like this. So that, uh, oh. I, I wish I were trying to think of an, uh, of, a, of an example other, maybe it's the best example, that's why it always comes up. The, the, uh, the, the messages to family people in, uh, by people in the planes that went down on September 11th. They said, my plane is going down. I'm not going to make it. I love you. Take care of yourself. Take care of the children. Uh, because when the mind is clear and it sees I can't do anything, imperative goes out of it. I cannot do anything different. There's nothing different to be done. It's out of my hands. That's a, it's, a kind of, it's a very tragic uh, example of equanimity under a really terrifying circumstance. But the, the, what I see as an indication of the equanimity is the fact that the mind's not hysterical. It says, this is what's happening, and I love you. And I think the I love you is both because we love the person that we're talking about, and also in the largest sense, when we think I love you to people we don't know, we hear about somebody's trouble in their lives, somebody's challenge, somebody waiting to hear a uh, biopsy report, somebody with another challenge. And uh, the expression is, my heart goes out to you. And, you know, I, I really get that expression. My heart really went out to that person. And we don't know the person, but your heart goes out because it's a human thing happening to a human being. And our mind immediately resonates to what, what it would feel like in me. I think, it's, it, I think it has a... Um, uh, a tempering effect on my uh, on my own uh, habits of becoming irritable or uh, resistant or I think when uh, in those times when I really get it that life is quite challenging for everyone in its own ways it um, 
it has a mollifying effect on me. I get kinder. My uh, annoyances at this one or that one or the other one or the fact that the email didn't come or life itself or no weather or you know whatever else our mind is in the habit of getting annoyed at, go away. And I, th I think it's because I, I have a sense. Everybody is in the same situation. It's funny because here I am talking about, not funny, but here I am talking about really difficult situations and uh, the, 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 uh, the, the stress that they put on the mind and how hard it is to feel good-hearted towards life, towards other people. It's hard not to get preoccupied in one's own story. And loving-kindness is really a, a kind of, um, what's it called in the, in the Buddha's Loving-Kindness Sutra? It's called the Sermon on... Um, uh, not impartial love, what's it called? Not indiscriminate, uh, universal, there you go. The Sermon on Universal Love. It's really, it's a, I actually think that the word compassion should be used just as much as the word love. Because love is so confusing when we talk about it, you know. We usually mean I fell in love with somebody. We don't say I fell in compassion with somebody. But I fell in love with somebody. It usually has an erotic component to it. But I think compassion is what we feel for human beings, whether we know them or not. But I'm in a plane, and it's bouncing around, and you look around, and people don't look the best. You know, and you don't know them, but you feel for them. And I feel for myself as well. I think compassion is a better word. And, so, and, and uh, I, I was thinking about it the other night. Well, here, this picks up the mood of the conversation a little bit. This is a story I wanted to tell you. We're going to talk about loving kindness and equanimity, and we are going to do together the homework that you didn't probably do from five weeks ago where I said make them all permutations of each other. And I'm going to set us up for the homework. This is a preview to the homework. The other On Monday night, I gave a talk to a uh, uh, hundred people who were part of a medical, uh, an HMO in a nearby county. And uh, it was a, uh, I was thinking to myself, I was reluctant to leave home because I was watching the ball game. But I had to leave, I had to leave home because I had to show up. And I thought to myself, nobody's going to come to this because they're all going to be watching the ball game. But I arrive, here's this beautiful, fancy, dining hall, all made up, elaborate. It's a yearly dinner, and it's beautifully laid out and appointed, and two huge televisions up on the wall. It looked like a sports bar, you know? It's a banquet hall with two huge televisions. I thought, good. You know, that we're certainly not going to start any talk that I'm going to do until after the ball game. It would have been the impossible act to follow. It would have been ridiculous. Well, it was a fine act to follow, actually, but an act to compete with, forget about it. So, so, so people are milling and talking to each other and doing the hors d'oeuvres business, and every once in a while is shouting, yay, you know, and everybody is, because everybody's looking out of the corner of their eye. The televisions are not playing words, you know. Everybody's having conversations as if they're having them. But the televisions are on, and everybody... Uh, <laughs> everybody sees Renteria hit that home run, and everybody gets crazy about it. And then, so then the game ends, and um, 
it was great. It was very good as a start for me to be able to teach the Dharma that I was teaching to them because I could start. They are part of a cooperative. Uh, they're, they're a team that works together. And what was your best part of the whole game, by the way? I just tell you, everybody yayed at Renteria's home run. What, did, who watched the game? All right. <laughs> so tell me what was your favorite moment of the whole game? You had to have a favorite moment. Go ahead. What was your favorite moment? I, I love the camaraderie that was over the way. You know, yeah. everybody ran. Yeah. <laughs> it just created tremendous community. I did too. That was my. But I'm interested in everybody having another one. What was your best part? What was <laughs> That's actually great. What else? Um, we were standing up on the hill listening to the city, and all of a sudden the buildings all started turning on orange lights. Oh, wow. The city was just a glow with orange. Oh, see? I saw it on the television. I saw City Hall all looking orange. All looking orange. Yeah. It was a very communal Absolutely, it was a feeling of community. What, I, I Nancy? Was swimming this morning, it was so dark, and the, the lighthouse on Alcatraz is orange. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really had to do with communal spirit. I love that, that what Susan said, that part where everybody runs out, and you look out, and you think, these are grown men, you know? They're actually big grown men, and they are jumping up and down, you know, I mean, it, it, like uh, it, it, out of this world. And then all those gestures of affection, all the, the patting the back and patting the body and uh, high-fiving and hugging everybody, kind of indiscriminate hugging. And, uh, and what I thought and what I said in my talk is that, uh, you know, I was obviously as excited as everybody else there, but I said, you know, they're a, they're a team that has worked together and just done something really good together, as you people here are part of a team that work together and hope to accomplish something good together. And when you do, in the moments when you really do something good, you indiscriminately hug, either in thought or in actual physical body. And when you watch, the, the big thing about watching everybody hugging everybody is that it, it seemed to me, or the conclusion I drew, is people didn't say, well, I'm hugging him, but not him, because I don't like him. <laughs> or him I like better than him, so I'll hug longer than the other one. It's really indiscriminate hugging, don't you think? So, I, and you look at that, hmm? Well, I mean, I actually felt some sadness for the Rangers. Oh, I did. I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, they're going to feel so sad. And, yeah, and they show pictures of them all standing there and looking sad. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's also because we're human beings and we feel about them. I feel bad about the people who... I feel bad for some of those people who lost the election yesterday who I was really hoping would lose the election. But... 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 Oh, I, I thought we we're much better off. They lost the election, but I felt bad for them. You know, I feel bad. That business of indiscriminate hugging, which, by the way, I thought to myself, first of all, the, a moment, uh, so the point that we're making to begin with here is that there are mind states that, uh, that, um, that uh, are heavy in the mind, 
And there are mind states that just lift up the mind. And as they do that, they so buoy up the spirit that it's as if you forget all those discriminating awarenesses. This one I like, this one I don't like so much. This one I like semi-much, so I'll hug more than this. You don't do that. It's just a moment of share. This is fabulous. And probably somebody on that team has hurt somebody's feelings or did this or that or whatever. In that moment, you don't remember it. And I think to myself, they're human beings. What if we as a planet of human beings all felt like we saved the planet? Maybe we'd run around, or were saving the planet, run around hugging each other, which is another thought I had lifted up my spirit while I was watching. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't germane to what I was talking about to talk about it, but um, I lived in Brooklyn, uh, uh, growing up, and I was in Brooklyn when uh, Jackie Robinson got to be the first person of color to play on a National League team and got to come out and take the field and have people shout really terrible epithets at him and have him behave with such dignity. It makes me cry now to think about it. Behaved always with tremendous poise. You remember it, Susan? So, tremendous poise and dignity. And you look at this team. They are, if, that, if I've wanted to have one image of the United States around the world to do us some good around the world, I would have had the end of the game with everybody kissing everybody and hugging and carrying on. And everybody, every different color, every different color. If, if we wanted to say, you know, the United States is really a place of diversity, look at all these people. And not only of color, you know. I, I, it, when, I was, when I was young, a ball player would not have long hair. <laughs> a ball player would not have a big black beard. That big black beard, you know, I thought to myself, those guys who have to stand up at the plate, never mind worrying at the ball. You look at this guy's face before he was about to pitch a ball. That would terrify you. you know? it's, it's a terrifying, you know, is it look? I wouldn't even stand there with a bat and cringe. But, uh, but for, to have people all over the world, to have young people in South Dakota where it's not, uh, it's not uh, diversity is not a story as common as it is in, in, in San Francisco. Have people just say, you don't have to have a course in diversity. You don't have to have diversity training. Just have baseball games up all over the place where people behave like it's a world full of people of different sizes and shapes and, 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 and styles of being. I thought to myself, I thought to myself, first of all that, I thought, well, people are really, uh, it took them a long time, we it took us a long time to get here. It was uh, more than 50 years ago that Jackie Robinson was drafted onto the team. It was just after the Second World War. Uh, but it took us 50 years to get here, but here we are, you know. Um, I thought to myself in terms of the paramita of patience, that to think to, my, to think to oneself, you know, we should change this, we should change that in the world. I'm losing heart because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, one day after the last presidential election started, it hasn't happened yet. Things take a while to happen. It took 50 years for that to happen. It was interesting for me, I was trying to think about how I would say this to not put myself in a bad light. 
um, I was uh, moved, really, uh, anyway, I weep easily, but uh, the, uh, those, uh, those four people, did they sing God Bless America or did they sing the national anthem? In either case, hmm? they sang God Bless America. So often I have a mixed reaction to that. I think to myself, wait a minute, even in this country, not everybody has the same God. Not everybody has a God. In the world, what people, people, you know, it's um, it's a kind. Of, what do you call it? Um, triumphalism, you know. Why America more than anyway? But anyway, I have all kinds of stories that might normally play in my mind around that, including Kate Smith singing it when I was a child, and I, you know, I, I really liked it, you know. So I have all kinds of stories that come up. But here are these four people, and oh, never mind the four people, but there are four people in the armed services. I have all kinds of stories about wars, and, and they were beautiful. They were just beautiful. And what I noticed about it, and they had lovely, lovely voices, and they were also every color and both genders. And what I noticed is all my stories weren't there. I totally loved what they did. Wasn't it beautiful? A great moment, great moment. So the idea that loving kindness practice erases from your mind everything, everything that's painful, really. And they say, "Well, I have to remember that I'm for this or against that, or I have this feeling. I won't forget it. I just don't have to carry it around with me in terms of views of the whole world. I don't have to see the whole world in terms of my categories." Rania, you looking for? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I'll see you later. Okay. Uh, that my mind could get um, unattached from its stories about this I like and that I don't like, and these are the feelings that, you know, these are the views that I have. Maybe they don't serve me to carry me around all the time. I don't have to make that many decisions about that. I just have to love everybody. That would be a good decision to make for the, be for the, for the benefit of everyone and for the benefit of myself. Once, some years ago, I've forgotten this for a long time, uh, there was a, um, a bomb that exploded in a wedding hall in Jerusalem. And a lot of people were killed. And... Uh, a lot, of, a lot of organ transplants were done that night in Hadassah Hospital. And uh, one of the surgeons who did a transplant uh, of a heart into was an Israeli Jew who did a transplant of a heart into a Palestinian woman who was waiting for a heart transplant. And people come in and there are organ transplants to be done. And I... And, I, I don't, I'm not sure that I heard it reported in a newscast or I actually saw the interview. I think I heard about it from the person who had done the interview, had talked to the surgeon and said, how did you feel about putting this heart of a young person who'd been at a wedding, and, um, of a Jewish young person who'd been a, into the heart of this Palestinian woman? And he said, that was not an issue. You just, you have a heart, you put it in the next person who needs it. And I thought to myself, what if the world were like that? 
That's actually, I think, what loving kindness is. What if the next person was someone who needed that heart and you could put it in them? I think actually we mostly would. We wouldn't stop and say, no, no, this is not the person. On the spot, I think we would. So I want to tell you how I did my homework and then you will be able to do your homework. Remember the homework, first of all. The homework was that um, uh, I said, look at each of these virtues, uh, like generosity, morality, et cetera, et cetera, and see if you can see all of uh, the other virtues as permutations of that particular one. So that, and I remember the first day I said, well, let's, let's think about generosity. Uh, generosity, we usually think of as a gift. You give something, you let go of something. You give, you give something away. And uh, I thought, is it not only your stuff, but your time or your interest? And, and how could it be a, generosity be a form of morality? Well, when, uh, when we're moral, we give people the gift of feeling safe. They can close their eyes. We all close our eyes in this room because we know that everybody else has a certain code of morality and we'll be safe when we close our eyes. Up in the retreat center, no one has ever had anything taken for them in the 10 years that we have been functioning as a residential center, and we have no locks on the doors. Nothing has ever disappeared from anybody. One time, someone came to the managers and said, my wallet is missing out of my room, and everybody's collective hearts fell down. That doesn't happen here. And the managers went with them to their room. It turned out it had fallen behind the bed. And no one has ever taken anything from anyone here. And it's a marvelous feeling to live in a place where you don't have to lock your doors or think about and talk about um, how is generosity a form of renunciation? Well, in a, in a certain way, uh, I don't know if I want to do it this way or that way. If I, if I have something that my, I look in the closet and uh, I'm going through because it's the end of the summer and I'm putting stuff away and I'm taking out some winter clothes and I say, you know, I didn't wear this the whole summer and I really, somebody else could use it. You know, that must mean I don't like it so much because I just had a long summer, could have worn it. So I'll maybe put it in my Goodwill box. And I said, well, you know, maybe next year you'll suddenly like it, or you never know, or you could need it. And the, the, the renunciation at that point is renouncing the, the worry that possibly next year I might want it in favor of the pleasure of letting go in that moment. So I said, okay, let's take each one of them and see if we can rethink them in another one. Maybe you did them all. I, I'm not sure. I didn't do them all until last night. I started really thinking about them all and seeing if I could do them all. And I decided that I would start with the last two. I'd start with equanimity and loving kindness. And that I would actually put them together, that they actually go together, that um, they fit together exactly closely in ways that uh, 
I don't think any other two do particularly well. Because uh, another way of thinking of equanimity is, um, uh, actually you could put the paramita of wisdom in there. But equanimity is, is um, another definition of equanimity would be mindfulness. Mind, the definition of mindfulness is attention awake to the moment without uh, pushing away anything or holding on, grasping onto anything. Just say, oh, look at this moment and look what's going on here. <coughs> so equanimity is, uh, sometimes I could use equanimity. I, I, uh, I understood the situation with equanimity. I understood it with mindfulness. Uh, I would then say wisdom maybe accrues from that where you look and you say, this is what's going on. This is what I can do. This is what I can't. These things happen. But equanimity and, and mindfulness certainly come very close together. And I think that loving kindness is part of it too because it's the same sort of balanced mind that says, okay, this is happening. And I can be at least towards it kindly disposed. That doesn't mean grasping onto it. Do you know that sometimes we do a practice together where I say, let's meditate and let's breathe in thinking, may I meet this moment fully? May I meet it as a friend? May I meet this moment fully? May I meet it as a friend? And if there's a nuance of difference between may I meet this moment fully, may I meet it as a friend, it's that the fully is an expression of mindful awareness, what's going on. And as a friend, means with that sort of warm intention, warmly inclined towards it, not prepared to meet it as a friend. So I wanted to put the two of them together and say, well, let's see if I can at least start down and say, how are the two of them manifestations of uh, generosity? I carry around this cartoon with me all the time. It's always in the back of my book, and every, every once in a while I take it out. Um, it's a, a three people standing on those podiums that they stand on at the end of an Olympic event, and they're all wearing ribbons coming down. So the person in the middle, you know, is first prize, second prize, third place. And it's an, an I'll pass it around, it's an unusual cartoon because the person in third place has just slugged out the person on the high on the highest podium who looks very surprised and I think what you're supposed to take from that is for the most part that's probably what the person who finished two hundredths of a second afterwards feels like doing but doesn't actually do because of equanimity and mindfulness and some uh, and some loving kindness in their heart for themselves and for the other people and for their family. It's a it's a generous moment. It's a moment of giving away an impulse to do something in favor of the general good, mine and everybody else's. It's a gift. Equanimity is uh, a gift to oneself. It's a gift of ease. When we say, may I live with ease, we might as well say, may I live with equanimity. It's the gift to myself of ease if I give up wanting the imperative that things be different. If I give away a grudge, if, for instance, in a moment of triumph, 
maybe I'm one of those team people and yaying and hooraying and everything. And then after the yaying and hooraying is all over, I think to myself, huh, I completely forgot that I don't like so-and-so while that was going on. Maybe in that moment I could say, you know what? I don't need to remember that. I was better off. I felt better in that time that I forgot. Um, my friend Rana uh, told me the story years ago of her grandmother who died. And uh, she was old, old. And uh, she was visiting her grandmother in the home that she was living before, at that time. And the grandmother had not spoken to the mother in, her, Rana's mother in 20 years. And the grandmother said, do you, do you remember why I don't speak to your mother? And Rana did remember, but she wanted to start up a, a, a hornet's nest. So she said, no, I don't remember. And the grandmother said, neither do I, but I, re <laughs> but I remember that I'm angry. You know? And it's so sad, isn't it? It's really sad. It's really sad. Mostly we remember, ha, but don't remember the thing. And if we remember the thing, it wouldn't even be that big of a deal. And it happened a long time ago when both of you were different people. It's a gift to oneself. It's also wisdom because you say, you know, we're different people now. We're not the same people. It's also renunciation because you can say, you know, I'm renouncing that story. I don't need that anymore. I don't need it. it was a, it's a superfluous story. It's messing up my life. Uh, it's a manifestation, equanimity, and uh, 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 loving kindness, or a manifestation of patience. It, it's certainly, in difficult times, you can say, oh, I'm just about to get mad at the situation or that person. Say, let's just wait. It doesn't, it, I could wait. Things will change. So now I have just done the first piece of the homework. I have taken the last two paramitas as if they're one. And I've said, how is this a gift? How is it morality? How is it renunciation? Okay, so you got the, you got the template, right? Now we need seven groups because we've done equanimity. I, 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 we talked about generosity. We talked about equanimity and morality, making them, making the permutations. So we have seven more to do. Okay. Up to Susan, one group. See, all those people up to Susan, one group. Uh, right in here. Okay, there we go. All right, you're the next group. This is almost. We'll leave, the, we'll leave three people here that will move over to Nancy's group, okay? There we go. And here's a group for... Five, six, seven, more or less. Okay. Now, which are, you'll figure it out, okay? Ready? Now, um, we're going to be a little circle, and you have eight minutes to talk about your thing. And which way should we go? All right. Why don't we start here with determination and truthfulness and patience and energy, and wisdom, and morality. No, renunciation and morality. Susan, you're the morality group, okay? <laughs> okay, ready, set, go. You have eight minutes.
Thank you very much.
Ding dong, ding dong. Ding dong. Don't go, don't move your chairs. Stay right where you are. Stay right where you are. Except the people standing, they could sit. Yeah. So one person in each group say a um, uh, one minute summary of your group. So who wants to go here? The determination group. Julia. Uh, okay, Julia. Up. Loud. <laughs> okay. I have to put some determination into this. Um, what we shared was really interesting. Uh, part of it was um, determination um, and a different way of looking at it. Um, determination being the bull running through the china closet, um, just getting things out of the way. You agree with me, you don't agree with me, you're all gone, I need to get there. And in the paramita and learning um, the ways of the path to instill uh, a sense of um, gentleness and kindness um, in that sense of determination so that we are being kind with ourselves, we are being kind with those um, around us, and then we naturally fall into um, being patient. Um, we don't get so wrapped up in the stories um, that might come with situations that require our determination. We're able to detach more. And so our focus becomes more fluid and actually molds into all the other ways of um, determination and brings us to a point of contentment and understanding exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. Sadhu, sadhu. Uh, actually, sadhu, sadhu is the Buddhist equivalent of amen. You know, that's, that's, well said is actually what it means. Okay, this is a determination group. This is the, uh, the truthfulness group. Go. generosity and that on the one hand truthfulness can uh, there's a level of trust there that if you know that uh, everybody is going to be truthful it allows uh, an safety a feeling of safety and uh, and trust and, and calm and, and space um, however what about if you uh, are inclined to be truthful, but you are aware that uh, a full expression of your truth will hurt somebody's feelings, as you heard somebody speak and uh, didn't think it was such a great speech and have ideas about how they could improve it. Um, so then, thinking about how to be generous with what you say, uh, and also picking your time about uh, when to say something. So, so that comes in with renunciation and patience, um, being and, and mindfulness, being aware of other people in the situation, what 
what's useful and what's not. And and uh, let me see what else. What else did we do? Uh, <laughs> oh, energy. Um, that when when we're truthful, we're not so caught up in our own internal machinations, and it creates um, a, a flow of energy. Uh, and it's it's wisdom. All of this is uh, is wisdom because you're aware of others and mindful and and good timing and appropriateness and good speech and right speech and. Sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> sadhu, like we meditated fast, now we're doing the summaries fast. <laughs> Sarah, which paramita did your group have there? Who's talking? I think it's me. Okay. <laughs> okay, we have patience, which is actually sort of an easy one in a way because it flows into everything else, although we were talking about how the paramitas are you know sort of parsed out and what this does is it brings them all back in they're really all one so patience it's generous because you're restraining yourself you may feel like saying something that isn't wise which is brings it into wisdom and also morality where um, you want to do wise action and you want to do the right thing um, determination you have to be determined if you're really feeling impatient to be patient you sort of look at it in its um, equanimity, if you're patient, you're saying, I allow it, it's okay, you know, it may not be what I wanted, but it's what I got. Um, what have I left out? Energy, we didn't talk about energy, but you did, because when we talked about determination, you've got to be determined to be patient, but we were saying, oh yeah, I like to just jump right into everything, well there's a sort of a balance of energy. Sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> okay, uh, which is this group? Uh, Phyllis, which is your group? This is energy. Energy, okay. Who's doing it? Energy is a very generalized paramita, and we thought about it in the context of of intentionality and focus in the beginning and um, how we tend to think of energy as very external uh, but that kind of focus and intentionality is uh, often held within that type of session externally and there was a lovely story about um, having a lot of um, uh, difficult energies afflictive energies that was eventually stripped away into um, a pure form uh, where there's just simply a sensor left and uh, that's healthy and pure and, and uh, provides ease. Um, so that's, that's sadu, sadu. <laughs> so then patience should be the next one up somewhere. We do, we that, no, that was patience. So we, we're. Renunciation is it. What are you people back Real there? Quick, we went through okay. all the filters and talked about each one of them. Um, but our aha was at the end when we realized that um, all of them were the same. <laughs> Ta-da! That's very nice. There are a list of uh, synonyms of, of contentment in a thesaurus. Haha, thank you very much. Okay, group there. Yeah, yeah.
goat. Ah, sadhu, sadhu. We have two groups left. One group. Okay, go morality. Okay, so does anybody else want to do this? <laughs> 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 well, um, we de- we looked at morality in terms of all the other categories, and of course realized how everything is everything, and um, morality. Is Sadhu, sadhu, everybody. So it's so ungracious of me to rush out, but uh, please forgive me for doing that. I need to do it. I need to go tell what the Buddha taught to uh, uh, 12th graders at at Branson School. And I do it once every year for their senior year religion course. And uh, often we come there with no agenda at all and uh, say, you know, what do you want to talk about? And they've been studying about the Buddha, and I go from there. Today I'm going to talk about the ball game because that gives me something that I know they all did. And uh, I feel as hip as anybody because I can, you know, know all the names of all the people. So what I wish you all is a wonderful fall and a very good Thanksgiving. And I will be here again on the 29th of December. And my hope is that we will talk about what it means to start again, because we're coming to the beginning of a new year. And then I'll be here for a while through the winter of the new year. So may you all feel safe and contented and strong and live with ease. And thank you very much for being here all the time. And I'm going to rush out. And you all sit and visit with your group a little bit. Don't leave until you know the name of everybody in your group, at least. That's nice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.